Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Boss Stuff Podcast, episode 247. Today, I want to speak directly to managers, leaders, and aspiring leaders and managers out there about how to reset your strategic plan. Now, the principles I cover in today's episode can absolutely apply um, to volunteer activities, to even family plans and your own ambitions for the year. But this all specifically was inspired after the first month of our Level Up programming with my Level Up leaders, team leaders, and emerging leaders uh, a few months ago. When we started off the Level Up program, our Leadership Accelerator, we really started with honing our strategic plan. And after last week's episode, which went into detail, last week's Thursday episode, I should say, which went into detail on the retreat planning that we did here at Bosta and everything that really came out of that, how to design an effective and strategic retreat. I wanted to talk about pivoting because (laughs) if it's not obvious, we are all in a pivot right now. 2020 is not turning out the way that anybody predicted, except maybe Bill Gates, but that's another story. And so today I want to talk a little bit about what do you do with the best laid plans when they go awry? And there's actually some really helpful science out there and specifically leadership study um, and findings that have been done to help think about how to pivot a strategic plan. Um, so I love the the folks you're going to hear from today. I'm, I'm sampling some snippets from some of my favorite researchers who've written great books Um on leadership and the psychology of trust and leading through change. And I highly recommend checking them out. I'll make sure to drop links in today's show notes as well. But there are three, actually four core strategies or or key concepts to think about when you are rewriting a strategic plan. A strategic plan being, you know, a roadmap for the next six to 12 months or one to five years, whenever you find yourself having to completely pivot during times of tumultuous change, like the ones we're in right now, these core principles can really help. And frankly, I have a feeling we're going to be pivoting again. (laughs) Like the change, the only constant is change is ringing very true for me right now because there's still so much uncertainty. We have to be on our toes and we have to be willing and open to change We can't constantly be at alert, at high alert. So knowing that we have to relax, this was a really, you know, we have to renew. We have to, we can't constantly be driving forward. We have to give ourselves time to reassess and renew. And these four key concepts have really helped me and our team here at Bossed Up think about pivoting strategically. The first 
is to take stock of the progress you've already made. The first thing we did at the Boss Up Retreat, which we did without even really saying we were doing it the night before the real retreat started when we were just socializing and hanging out, I asked my team, I said, think about all the things we've done this year already in the last six months. And we started just listing off, oh, we brought on our first full-time employee. Oh, we brought on our second full-time employee ever. You know, we started, hired our job search accelerator, which is going really well. We totally transformed Bossed Up Bootcamp and how we were executing it and how we were focusing on it. And then we had to cancel it. You know, like all kinds of firsts that we've navigated together, all kinds of new reports. You may have seen the comprehensive job search guide we created, the negotiation guide we created. We did all kinds of things in the past six months. And not only did it feel kind of impressive, frankly, to think about all the things we've accomplished already, but it reminded me that we can get a lot more done in the months ahead than we sometimes believe we can. And I was even having this conversation with Brad the Boo recently. Uh, He just turned 35 last week. And I was feeling honestly a little melancholy about it because it just wasn't the birthday celebration that I had in mind for him. You know what I mean? I think there's like the shadow part of like my internal life right now. I wonder if anyone else feels this way, whereby you kind of compare what you'd be doing if there weren't a pandemic. It's not a healthy thought. I think I touched upon this in another episode on how to sustain your motivation in a pandemic. But anyway, I was feeling a little melancholy about how this birthday was rolling out. And what we did that got me out of my funk and really... I think it's so common to do at a temporally salient landmark like a birthday was to look back on his 35th year. And and I asked him how he felt about it. He was like, I feel really good about the progress I've made this year and the progress I've made in my life this year in all areas of my life. And it gave us a chance to kind of flip back through the flip book of his 35th or 34th year rather and uh, take stock of and appreciate and, and express gratitude around all the progress we've seen in our lives. And that taking stock, right, that focus on progress is fundamental and innate to our human nature. Maybe you've heard me talk about this before, but if not, um, I want you to know about something called the progress principle. Teresa Amabile is a professor at Harvard And she wrote a book along with a colleague of hers all about the power of making progress on meaningful goals. And here's how Teresa describes the progress principle herself. It's a surprising impact of simply making forward movement on meaningful work on the people who are doing the work. My co-author Stephen Kramer and I studied nearly 12,000 daily diaries of people working on creative project teams in order to look at their inner work life. And inner work life is our term for the perceptions, emotions, and motivations that people experience as they react to and make sense of the events in their workday. What we found was that when people's inner work lives were more positive, they perform better. So we asked ourselves, what is it that influences inner work life? If inner work life has such a positive impact on performance, we found that of all the things that can drive people in their work and make them feel good about the work, the single most important is simply making progress on work that they find meaningful. 
And I think that's key, meaningful work. If you can ground yourself in the meaning behind the mundane, which to be fair, like everyone's job involves some mundane aspects to it. Nobody finds inspiration or meaning by attaining inbox zero at the end of a week, right? But if we can remind ourselves of what is the meaning of the progress we've made, what is the impact on the world around us when we make progress on our work goals or in our lives even, it can help fuel us forward and keep us engaged in the day-to-day, which is really hard for most of us right now. And so if you find yourself feeling that way, take stock of the progress you've made, not just in the year thus far, but find a way to do that regularly. That's why I ask y'all in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook, uh, which if you haven't joined yet, make sure to sign up for our emails at bossedup.org and you'll be invited to join us there on Facebook. That's why every Friday there, I we have a Fierce Friday celebration where we say, okay, what are you proudest of having achieved this week? Even if it's just a little reflection you do in your own journal or with a loved one at the end of each day or at the end of each week or with your team, we have to take stock of how far we've come each and every day and what that impact and meaning is behind the progress. Now, of course, this is all in the context of completely changing our approach as we pivot a strategic plan or reset a strategic plan that's no longer working. And that brings me to point number two, because once we've established and taken stock of our progress, it's really important to identify the bright spots. Instead of jumping right in, rolling up your sleeves and saying, okay, what's broken? What needs fixing? What's not working? Dan Heath, who is one half of the dynamic cognitive science uh, brother duo, Dan and Chip Heath, who write a ton of great books, but one of my absolute favorites is called Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard. He describes in that book, but also in this clip I'm about to play for you, why identifying your bright spots first, like what is working on the team or what is working in my life right now, is a really important and often overlooked place to start when navigating periods of change. Take a listen. We all use our powers of analysis primarily to study what isn't working rather than to study what is working. So think about all the times in your lives when you've been on phone calls with friends and they've been agonizing about the problems in their relationships, you know, and the many, many flaws of their partners. But have you ever been on a single call where the person was was obsessing about why things were working so well with an eye towards doing more of that in the future? Or as parents, you know, we really want to get to the bottom of, of why our kids got an F, you know, so we can correct it. But we don't obsess about why our kids got an A. What were they doing differently in that class than in the others? You know, most of the time, this problem-solving focus serves us very well. If you're a manager and things are working pretty well across the board except for one trouble spot, by all means, solve that problem. But there's one situation in life where this backfires on us, and that's in times of change. Because in times of change, our report cards don't look near flawless. Our report cards look pretty mixed. There's a lot of stuff that's not working very well. There's a lot of stuff that may be failing outright. And if we allow ourselves to slip into problem-solving focus in that time, you know, that's a recipe for inaction, for paralysis. There's simply too many problems to be solved. In times of change, what we need to do instead is to focus on the bright spots, the early glimmers that something 
is working right. And once we find those bright spots, our mission is to study them and to clone them. As leaders, instead of coming down on our team and saying, this is failing, we need to fix this, we have to remind ourselves that a lot of things are probably working that we're not even acknowledging. And instead of just focusing on what's not working, let's replicate and almost accelerate or duplicate the systems and processes that have led to success in other arenas at work in every arena. So before you jump into problem-solving mode, which totally makes sense, and I'm guilty of jumping right ahead to the negative, focus on what's working. I cannot tell you how often we overlook that in the strategic planning phase. So important. One way to do this very simply in a scalable and replicable way is at the end of every week or at the end of every month or at the end of every quarter, whenever you decide to review what's happening in your team, ask for pluses and deltas, meaning what worked this quarter and what needs to change, which brings me to number three, identifying the deltas. Once you've identified the bright spots and explored what's working about them and how you can replicate it, then we need to focus on the deltas. Delta, of course, is that mathematical symbol, the triangle that says, here's an area that needs to change. Here's something, a variable that we need to mix up. So instead of thinking of it as a failure that we need to hide from or run away from or or smother or suppress, explore it as an opportunity for change. So once we've identified what needs changing, I really believe that a big, unwieldy, kind of unstructured brainstorm is the best place to start. In the past, when I've worked with a design thinking team around um, innovation projects like this, like how can we innovate this whole area of the business that's not working, we basically do a group brainstorm where every idea gets put on the board or put on the wall or put on the butcher paper and everybody writes everything down no matter how big or small the idea, no matter how quote unquote good or bad it may be. And then we step back, we look at the board together And we rank them based on what we want to start experimenting with first. We basically vote on them. I've used colored sticky dot circles, um, those little circular stickers to sort of vote. Everybody put their vote up on the butcher paper to see which ideas they like the most. And what's interesting, especially for small business owners like myself or what might be relevant for small teams for managers who might not have ultimate power or control over the broader mission is sometimes you don't start with the most, I don't know, the best idea. Sometimes you start with the idea that's most easily and quickly implemented. So you can begin the experiment and the experimental process more quickly. Uh, I want to give you an example here. In the past, we talked about starting a bossed up app to track your goals. And we actually got pretty far down into designing an app and then we abandoned it. Why did we abandon it? Because we realized the cost associated with designing and launching an app what meant that it was going to take so long to get there, we were going to run out of money in the meantime. And that's why the bossed up life tracker planner was designed and developed because as opposed to an app, it was actually easier and faster and cheaper 
to implement. So we were able to test our theory, does our community want a systematic way to track their goals within a community setting? Answer, yes. And the planner was born from the failure of or the ashes of our app that we had designed and spent quite a bit of time working on. But we were able to abandon it without feeling bad because it was a conscious choice. One idea might be the best, but if you're going to run out of money on the way there or if it's implausible or, or not easily or quickly executed, it's hard to learn from, right? And I'm a big believer in the iterative design process. You try something, you see what works about it and what doesn't, and you try again. And I'm proud to say that every single year, our life tracker planner keeps getting better and better, mostly thanks to all of your feedback. And oh my gosh, I cannot wait for you all to see the final mock-ups of the 2021 planner. We just got the um, the demo copies in the mail, and oh my god, they're so beautiful. There's one very exciting new feature that you'll hear about soon when we launch them. I think in August, which will be our earliest year yet. We are so ready <laughs> to turn the page on 2020. I, I hope you are too. Anyway, I digress. Moral of the story here, identify the deltas, what needs changing, brainstorm widely to explore all possible next steps, and then pick one solution to experiment with and do so in a time-limited way. So you can say, okay, those are all great ideas. We're going to run with this idea and then in a month, we'll reevaluate. Or in a quarter, we'll reevaluate. To me, when you have to stay really agile in the midst of massive uncertainty, that's the best way to measure what's working. So you're not just like sinking in endless amounts of time and money into an idea, trying to make it work. When you have to be faster, you have to be more agile. And that has really helped us over the years. Okay. And tip number four, final piece of advice here for resetting and really redirecting your strategic plan for your team, for your life, for your organization, is to develop new KPIs. KPIs, of course, stand for Key Performance Indicators. I am reminded of the motto, measure what matters. If you are not measuring... Facebook likes, then they don't matter to you, which is true in my case. If you are not measuring sales, then that must not matter to you, right? So think about what are the key metrics that are actually going to tell you that you and the team are headed in the right direction? What signs of progress will you see? And be very cautious of what Eric Reese in the Lean Startup calls vanity metrics, which are numbers that might look good, like traffic on your website, but mean nothing related to your business's bottom line. If you have tons of people going to your website and no one is converting to buying your product or downloading whatever, like you're not measuring what matters. And so you have to be aware of and cautious of vanity metrics, especially if you're managing folks who keep track of analytics for you and for the team. Make sure they're measuring what matters. And then I I have to say, we have been struggling to do this well this year because so many things have changed. We're trying to really reset on this front ourselves right now. But make sure the entire team is aware of what metrics matter, is aware of where you're at in terms of progress to goal, and is able to contribute and drive in the same direction. Otherwise, in my team's case, you know, if Ellie's managing our Instagram and is just focusing on putting great, beautiful, wonderful, inspiring, and informative content out there. And Kirby is trying to drive marketing for 
sales every month, you know, if Ellie doesn't know what the KPIs are, then our Instagram strategy is just going to be pretty and cool, but not strategic, not strategically supporting our broader overall business objectives. So make sure the whole team is on the same page, not siloed with different KPIs per department, right? We have to make sure that every department's KPIs are fully understood and valued by every member of the team. Eric Reese from The Lean Startup has a really interesting framework in his book, which is all about whether to pivot or persevere. So if something's not working, should you stick to it or should you pivot? And it all boils down to looking at the data, looking at the metrics. What does the data tell you? And if you have the right KPIs, if you have the right metrics that are truly connected to your overarching objectives as a business or team, then you can help determine as a team whether to pivot or to persevere. And my God, does that all feel super relevant in 2020? I read The Lean Startup back in 2012, like in my years of preparation to launching my business, and it feels more relevant today than ever. I hope today's conversation is, is relevant to you. Now more than ever, these tools are more important to lean on because they really only apply when mass uncertainty is the norm. And that's where we find ourselves in 2020. So I hope today's podcast finds you happy, healthy, whole, and hopeful. I just came from a doctor's appointment this morning and I had a very real conversation with my medical provider who said, you know, I just don't feel hopeful right now. I feel really heavy and this heaviness just won't leave me. And she and I were talking about not only the pandemic and the unfortunate ways in which this pandemic has become politicized, but also what's happening in the movement for Black lives and just with racism and this country of ours, it is easy to feel heavy. But I, I said to her as I walked out the door, you know, thank you so much for what you're doing. Stay hopeful because even when I'm feeling heavy, which to be fair, I'm feeling heavy right now too. Like it's just, we are weighed down by this globally from the chronic stress that we're all under right now. I have to hold out hope because without hope, what are we? You know, without hope, what are we striving for anyway. So I hope these tips in terms of navigating change as a leader inspires you to be optimistic about our ability to change for the better. These strategies can help you identify how to change for the better. But before you can even apply them, you have to believe that change is possible. And so I, I want to leave you with that thought today. Change is possible. While there is a lot of frustration to be felt right now, we can take control of our destiny right now. Collectively, we can come together for positive change. So I would love to hear from you if you found today's episode helpful in navigating change on your team, or if you want to share it with the folks in your world who you think could use it, you can head to bossedup.org slash episode 247 to get all the details and the transcript from today's conversation. I guess it's not a conversation. It's more of a monologue. But yeah, I'd love to hear from you. How are you applying these frameworks to maintaining a sense of forward momentum and hope in your life. I'd love to hear from you on the Bossed Up Podcast hotline or just, you know, blow up my Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Hit me up at Emily Aries on all the things. 
uh, or you can call in your next career conundrum or boss move of the week on the hotline at 910-668-BOSS. That's 2677. Keep bossing, y'all. I know times are tough. I know things are crazy, but I believe in a better tomorrow, and I hope you do too. Take care. Talk soon. 